No Pyro No Podcast, an Armada fancast where we talk all things Jacksonville Armada. This week we'll be continuing our History of the Armada series, and we had a very special guest. Some of you may know him as Miggy, others of you may know him as Miguel Gallardo. So sit back and enjoy as Derek and I have spend a little time with the Armada's first signing. And joining us now is Armada legend, Miguel Gallardo. Miguel, how are you doing today? Hey guys, pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to connecting with you guys and hopefully reliving some of those uh, really nice moments a few years back. Well, good. I'm glad you see those as nice moments. That's always good to hear. It's been a long road to get to this point, um, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. So we um, we see you grew up in Round Rock, Texas, which is not too far outside of Austin. Um, how'd you end up um, at Tigres um, after coming from... Uh, yeah, um... I went to play with Tigres after I was already living in Texas. I never played for Tigres okay. Youth Academy. I actually, I actually played uh, my first experience with Tigres was a pro, as, as a professional when I was already living in Texas. So I was I, I moved to Texas when I was about 14, 15 years old with my family. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I went to high school in Texas. I played uh, youth soccer in Texas. I played high school ball in Texas, uh, and then. Um, I I played a PDL, which I don't know if the league still. I think it's still it still exists, but it, they might have renamed it to USL two or USL three. When I was like sixteen years old, one of the guys that I met there, he started a team because he thought that myself and a couple other players had a future uh, in the professional ranks. Mm-hmm. So the guy invested money to buy a PDL franchise. It was called Austin Lightning uh, back in the day, okay. and. Uh, he just felt like there was a few of us that, that had a future and maybe we didn't have the resources or maybe the connections to get us to get us an opportunity. So I started playing PDL at a very, very young age. I'd, I'd be surprised if I'm still not the, the, the player with the most PDL caps because I played it for like four or five years. Yeah, uh, we, we, we see that. You, uh, notes on your wiki that it was like 2003 to 2007. And yeah, that, uh, so I played PDL for a long time and, uh, you know... Um, I was actually, and I was actually living in America as an undocumented uh, person. I didn't have a green card, so oh, wow. sometimes Mexican teams would come to play against uh, teams in uh, in Austin, just exhibition matches. They would bring their second division team, their third division teams, which were made up of sixteen, seventeen year old guys that they had in their academy. So there was one time where. I played against a few Mexican teams in a tournament. They invited our team, and so I played, and I, I got invited by uh, all three of them to go back to Mexico with them and, and, and play. But I didn't have a green card, so there was no guarantees of me um, you know, making the team or staying there or getting a contract. So I never really wanted to take a chance. I still had my family in Texas, so it was a really difficult decision for me, but I ended up never going. It wasn't until I was like 22 or 23 that I got my green card. Uh, and then okay. I remember calling the guy from Tigres and I said, I, I remember calling the guy from Tigres and I said to him, Hey, you invited me to, to come try out like four years ago. Are you still down? And he's like, I have no idea who you are, but if you say that I invited you <laughs> come down. So I, so I went down to, uh, to Mexico when I was about 22. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a tryout with the, with the pro team. They first put me with the young guys with the U twenties. And they realized that I had, you know, um, more potential. And then they put me with the older guys, with the with the guys from the pro team, and and uh, and then I ended up signing a contract with their affiliate team, uh, Tigres Mochis, which is in a city that was, you know, uh, far away from from Monterrey. And that's where I started my professional career. I played there 2006, 2007, and a little bit more. Uh, and then I moved back to the U.S. Uh, to Austin. I missed home. I'd had a little injury where it required me to stay out for a while. I kind of lost patience. They wanted to send me to Argentina to a to an affiliate team to kind of keep recuperating and then, you know, getting some playing time. But I was kind of over it a little bit. I just wanted to be, be home with my family. And so I went back to Austin, sure. and that's when I started playing for the Austin Aztecs. And, but that was, that was the beginning of my professional career. It was actually after I lived here in the U.S. and then going back to Mexico as an already as a – as a resident of the U.S., so I sort of went as a foreigner player, which actually, without getting too deep into the 
into the past, that that had an effect on how players viewed me. Because even though I look more Mexican than than anybody there, I came from America, and so they viewed me differently. Right. And it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy um, um, transaction. It wasn't an easy adjustment to the guys there who had been mm-hmm. growing up playing together at the youth academies and then now making it to the pros, but a lot of them sort of protected each other. Uh, so right. while I was cool with everybody, I still felt like I wasn't part of the group and I wasn't part of, you know, some of the players who had been growing up playing together and they did, you know, all the academy system with Tigres. So, um, you know, that kind of made right. me be wanting to come back to the U.S. and, and I did. And then uh, that's when I started playing with the Austin Aztecs. So you you mentioned the Austin Aztecs. You um they actually had pretty decent support for that level. Um, they averaged like three to four thousand a game. Um, but the team ended up moving to Orlando, um, with the hopes of eventually becoming an MLS franchise. Um, what was your feelings about you and the team leaving Austin? Which, as you said, that's your home. Yeah, for sure. No, it wasn't. It wasn't an easy decision. Um, you know. I don't know if I've ever admitted this to anybody, but I was never—I never dreamed to be a professional player. Um, I just loved playing soccer, and um, modesty aside, I was always the best at where I was. Understanding that I wasn't playing at a professional level, but anything—you know, state teams, any like high school level, uh, anything that I would did when I was younger, I was—you know—I was no—I was the kid that was known around, right? I mean, I would have. Guys that would come up to me say that they had contact somewhere else and blah blah blah, and you know I always kind of blew them off. Um, but uh, you know it was never something that I pursued. I just loved playing. I loved training, and I always wanted to be the best that I could be. I had other things going on, and but the fact that the team was in in uh, in Austin, right there in my backyard, was convenient for me. So I played, and uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. You know, obviously playing in front of my friends and. There was games where we would have, you know, this the, the little stadium house park packed. I think there was a there was a game where we played against the Tampa Bay Rowdies, and it was like, um, you know, eight thousand people there, which was the capacity of of the house park stadium downtown, which is a really cool venue. Um, so it was really nice. It was a really nice support. Um, but like you say, it wasn't enough. Um, you know, maybe the ownership group did not see a future or the future that they were expecting, and that's when they decided to move the team to Orlando. So the team moves to Orlando, and the club actually had instant success. Off the pitch and on the pitch, you, year one, you guys were getting crowds of 5,000 during the season, 9,000 in the playoffs, and you guys actually won a trophy the first year in yeah. Orlando. The follow-up with the semifinals in year two, and year three, you guys win a second trophy. Um, must have been a wild ride for you guys. What were some of your favorite memories in those years for Orlando winning. City? Yeah, winning, man. Uh, winning was fun. Um, we, we had a really good team, and we were well-coached. And, you know, when you say immediate success, it was immediate as a new franchise, but the foundation of that team was the team that, that went to the playoffs the year before as Austin Aztecs. So it wasn't like it was a brand new team. It was me and a few other guys and probably some other of the best guys in the league, plus some English guys that came that were new to America uh, that were well scouted. So this wasn't this wasn't a brand new team. It was a team that already had a strong foundation. And uh, that was the, you know, that was the base of a team that would become you know, one of the most winningest teams in USL history for four years. I mean, it was, I think that the ratio, the, the stats and of the, the numbers of the amount of games that we won versus the ones that we lost was was just insane. It was just so much fun to play with such a group, such a good group. And, you know, an idea of play that is rare to see nowadays because it was just so um, evident. And even though teams knew how we would play, it didn't matter because it was a team that had different options. And we executed the idea so well that, you know, it was just for me, it was really fun to watch my teammates absolutely tear teams apart. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Obviously, winning was fun. I mean, we, every year we won something, right? Whether if it was, uh, you know, regular season championship or the actual championship, uh, you know, every year we won a trophy. So uh, it, it was fun. I can't, I can't say that that wasn't my favorite part of it, but obviously, you know, the teammates, the camaraderie, the people here in Orlando were always very kind. Um, of course, people are always going to are always going to support a winning team, right? <laughs> That's pretty, it's pretty sure. easy to support a winning team. But um, 
but still a lot of credit to the to the supporters because you know even when, since we got here they made us feel at home there was already a supporters group the ruckus they were mm-hmm. they were already in existence when we got here um so it, they made it all very easy as soon as i got here i met my girlfriend who's now my wife so orlando became a home for me immediately and uh you know, it was just, for me, it was such a great honor to be able to play in front of people who I became really good friends with and obviously people that I love. Right. That's great. So let's fast forward to 2014. Orlando City is now an MLS and uh, you uh, signed with the expansion club for the NASL in Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Armada. Um, you yeah. the team's first signing and, and instantly became the face of the franchise. Uh, what was the reason you wanted your next step to be in Jacksonville? I was close to my girlfriend. <laughs> that's, that's, the re, that's the that's the reality. Um, I had offers to right. go to other places. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had offered to go to play a team in Mexico. In fact, as soon as mm-hmm. they signed me, uh, within weeks, I had an offer to go play uh, in Mexico. And um, I I wanted to pursue the opportunity, but Armada didn't let me, rightfully so, uh, mm-hmm. because. You know, there are arguments like, hey, you're a first player, haven't even touched the field, and you want us to sell you already? Because they were going to buy me. Um, mm-hmm. And they decided not to let me go. And I was, I totally understood it. You know, for me, it was just a big opportunity for me to go back to my home country after the disappointment of Orlando City. So it wasn't that I didn't want to be in Jacksonville. I wanted to be in Jacksonville because it was close to my home, uh, to my girlfriend at the time. Uh, but you know, I received an opportunity to go to Mexico right away. And uh, it was tempting for me because, you know, ultimately, as much as I've lived here in America for so many years, you know, Mexico's my home. And also, it was mm-hmm. going to be in the beach. It was going to be in Cancun. So, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, that was also enticing. But uh, so, so you're saying Cancun's beach is better than Jacksonville. Uh, I'm not going to say that. Let me tell you something. Now that you say it like that, after a few years of living in Jacksonville, I have to tell you, man, Jacksonville is so underrated. Uh, I loved my time in Jacksonville. And I know we haven't gotten there yet, but... I love my time in Jacksonville, and you know, I, mm-hmm. I I believe and everything happens for a reason. I believe in destiny, um, and and you know, I'm glad that I didn't go. I'm glad that that I stayed in in Jacksonville. And things turned out the way they turned out, uh, because I had a great time in Jacksonville. I made I made a lot of wonderful people. Um, you know, I had some really cool experiences there, and uh, I love my time there. I, I love Jacksonville. I think it's. Uh, I tell people all the time. Jacksonville is like a, it's like a little uh, hidden jewel of the U.S. I don't think people know how nice it is. Yeah. Shh. Sh- hey, like no, it. no, no. It, it's a growing city. I love it. So, <laughs> so oh, okay. can you take us through like the signing process? Like how how did the team approach you and uh, to yeah. to come here? So it's it's funny because now that you guys are asking me, I'm starting to remember. So the way it happened, I had no idea that there was a team in Jacksonville, uh, zero clue. Um, and uh, I had a couple of deals already kind of three quarters of the way with other teams. Um, but uh, I remember going to, I remember going to Chipotle one day. And I was here in Orlando, it was the off season. And I saw a post from one of my friends that he was in Jacksonville. And I said to him, um, JP, his name is JP. He actually coaches with me at the academy that I run here now. Uh, I said, JP, what are you doing? Where are you? He's like, oh, I'm in Jacksonville. They're starting a brand new team. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And then he told me all about it. And so I said to him, hey, would you ask him to see if they might be interested? And immediately they called me. And they said, hey, we're definitely interested. And then I said to them, I was very blunt. Because they said to me, it's like, listen, we're not signing anybody, right? I said, we will, we would love for you to come and train. But we're not signing anybody right now until we see players. Um, you know, we were we're signing. We're gonna start signing people later. You know, I think it was like October, November, and I think they they told me that they weren't gonna sign players until like January or something like that. I don't remember clearly, but they told me clearly they weren't signing there. And I said, and I was very clear with them, and I said to them, "Look, um, then if that's the case, and I have no interest in coming because I need an I need to know right away because I have other offers and I'm waiting." Uh, I need to I need to make a decision. So if you guys can tell me that if I go there for a week or a few days, you guys can give can kind of give me an idea, then I will come. 
and they didn't guarantee me anything, but they're like, we'll just come and then let's do this. You know, we'll talk to some people, blah, blah. So I went. I trained in the morning. Um, and then they, they had the second session. In the second session, the Dario Sala, who was the general manager at the time, yep. he was a former goalkeeper for Dallas FC Dallas and Dallas Burn. I had played yep. against them um, in U.S. Open Cup with that PDL team, uh, Austin um, Lightning. Um, and so I knew him very well. And he came. I was I finished training, and he gets out of his car, puts his cleats on, and he starts shooting on me. And he starts – it was the most awkward thing, but he starts shooting on me, different angles. He starts <laughs> telling me to distribute the ball. He starts telling me, kick it here with your left, kick it here with your right. He starts, you know, sidewind it here, sidewind it there. Like asking me, asking me to do some extremely – just some, you know, just very, very technical things that he wanted to see. Uh, because I guess I'd had a very good training session in the morning. So I think the coach might have called him and said, hey, listen, you need to take a look at him because he needs to, something needs to happen. And so Dario Sala came, literally got out of his fancy SUV, and he literally put me through, he put me through it. And uh, as we finished the training, he, it was very interesting because we start chatting in the goal that I was defending. And he says, listen, we're going to go around this field playing foot golf because there was a goal on every side, every, the, the field so it has the two goals, but there was other goals on the, how do I say, horizontally. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so he said, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to go hit all those posts, you know, kind of play like a little foot golf. By the time we come around to the, this goal, we're going to, we're going to figure out your situation. And we did. And, you know, we, we started playing. We started hitting the ball towards that post and then the next post and then the other post. By the time we were already halfway through, we had already kind of come to an agreement. He sold me on the club. He told me what the plans were. He told me what his plans were for me. He told me, you know, what he thought of me and what the possibilities could be for the future. And by the time we finished, uh, we went around, we had already kind of sorted out a deal. The next step was for me to go to the office and, uh, and make it official. And then that's when I signed with Jackson Armada. It was a process that was very fast uh, because it needed to be. Uh, and uh, they, they made it fast. And that's how I became the first time player for Jackson Armada. So you got, yeah, no, you no, ended no, up no in pressure, a very right? unique set. Yeah, right. Exactly. But, you know, I think they both, uh, they broke the rule. And I don't know if it was a rule, but it was kind of what they were hoping. But, you know, and, and also... You know, because they knew they saw that I was in a situation, and uh, you know, listen, when you have options, you have leverage, right? Uh, and so I told them, It's like you're asking me to sign for a brand new team that I don't know what to expect from, and turn down teams that are already established that are going to be financially good for me. Uh, but what, what I what they had on them to negotiate was the fact that it was in Jacksonville near my girlfriend. Uh, and that's what the in big interest that I had. I just wanted to be home. I wanted to be close to home. Um, and so that was kind of the leverage that they had <clears throat> on me. And then obviously uh, for me, um, you know, it present it was a really good project. You know, I really want was excited to be part of something new. Uh, I was the first time player for Austin Aztecs. I was the first time player for Orlando City. And then I became the first time player for Jacksonville Armada. So I love that challenge. You know, I was it meant something to me that a club decided me to put me as the, hey, here's our statement, here's the guy we want to get so that you know that we're serious, <clears throat> um, relatively speaking. Um, and, uh, and so it was, it was, that was exciting for me, you know, to start something new. And, you know, Dario was a very intimidating person, but a very intriguing person. I was very, very uh, intrigued by him. And, and I believed what he said to me and, and, you know, I thought he was a very brilliant. He had a, he was a brilliant person, and so it was honestly him convincing me to 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 sign there, uh, with literally twenty four hours of being there. So you end up in a very unique setup uh, with the team. They had two head coaches, uh, Jose Luis Viral and Guillermo Hoyos. Uh -huh. um, how did that work in the locker room leading to into the season? Um, we heard from JJ in a previous interview that you kind of were the uh, interpreter for the uh, non Spanish speaking individuals yeah. as well. Yeah, it was it was very interesting. Obviously, it's not something that is normal. 
Uh, it wasn't for long because at first it wasn't meant to be Guillermo Hoyos. It was meant to be Villarreal and then Fernando, um, the Spanish guy, I forgot his last name, and then uh, and then uh, Manuel, I think, then Eduardo, uh, was kind of like the, you know, he was like a technical director. So it wasn't meant to be Hoyos, but something happened where... Uh, Fernando and uh, Eduardo were no longer part of the project. And so Guille, I mean, uh, um, Villa uh, decided to to ask his buddy of a long time, Guillermo Hoyos, to come and help him and be co-coaches. But I thought that that was going to be, it had it had every, every sign that it was going to be a disaster. Now, it wasn't a disaster <laughs> per se. But it just it just wasn't an ideal situation, and ultimately uh, Guillermo and Jos ended up taking over, and uh, you know, and that's that's how we started. Huh? But but you know, Villa. I actually spoke to Villa uh, recently. He's uh, he lives in Miami. He's calling games for Bean Sports, and um, now through my through my job with Apple and Major League Soccer, uh, we have some friends in common. So. Um, you know, I was able to speak with Villa for a little bit, and uh, man, I miss that guy. He was such a such a nice guy. Uh, I wish we would have had him longer. I, I heard there's a new signing down in Miami. Uh, so some some guy named uh, uh, Messi. I don't know if you heard of him. So <laughs> he's, he's decent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guy's supposed to be pre- that guy's supposed to be pretty good, from what I hear. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it pans out. All right, so. Coming into that first season, obviously we were bringing a bunch of you know new guys together that haven't played together before. Um, can you give us some insight to what the the team's training regimen was like moving into that uh, that first season? Obviously, like I said, you had you had new people coming in that hadn't played together. What was that like? Building and we were building yeah. it from scratch. Oh, it was really cool. Yeah, for sure, and that not that for sure was building it from scratch. That was not like Orlando City. Orlando City was already kind of built. Uh, that was that was definitely. A brand new team uh, with players that didn't speak English, uh, with players that didn't speak Spanish, and uh, that's why it was, you know, important that it wasn't just me. It was also Lucas. Uh, um, uh, Lucas, I'm blanking on his name right now. Caglia? No, no, no. Lucas Escaglia. Which oh, I oh Trejo, it. Trejo. Uh, no, not Trejo. Uh, Rodriguez. Lucas Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Um, yeah, I would have gotten there. Most of me, Lucas is there. <laughs> Which I have to tell you guys another amazing story about Lucas Escaglia, but we'll save that for later. Um, so, um, yeah, it was um, – he would do some translator as well. There was me and him who were able to kind of – because it wasn't just translator textually. It was translating emotionally. It was translating, uh, you know, the concepts in a way that the guy, the American guys could understand them. So it wasn't just mm-hmm. translate word by word. It was It was – it was listen to Hoyos and Villa and on the, try your best to understand them and comprehend them because these are guys that know the game really well and they're very deep. And so we had to understand it first, comprehend it for them, for them to be able to explain it uh, in a way that Americans would understand it. Not in a way an American would understand it. I mean it not in an intellectual way, but rather just mm-hmm. things sometimes don't translate textually. You have to you, you right. say in a different way, so that was a challenge. But uh, but yeah, that, I mean, it's something I enjoyed. Honestly, I, I enjoyed. It was a challenge for me, but I enjoyed that challenge. You know, sometimes I would let him speak for a long time, and I would just I'll just remember everything, and it was actually really cool. I, I'm actually now that I'm speaking of it, actually helps my job right now because then I have to do that uh, doing my job. So uh, yeah, it was interesting. There was a bunch of cool guys, man, really cool personalities, a uh, bunch of Argentinians, but they were all really cool. Um, you know, really good players. I thought uh, we had you know a bunch of guys from different countries, some local guys like Tommy Krasanovic, um, you know, and other players uh, that that came from from Jacksonville. Uh, it was it was awesome, man. I had a great time. I mean, obviously, it was a challenge to get everybody together, but you know, we played in a very distinct style. We played in a high possession uh, style. We played in a in a style that was very free and creative. Um, you know, Oyos, you know, would want some things that in today's uh, today's soccer would be suicide. Uh, but mm-hmm. I loved it, honestly. I really loved the way we used to play, 
and we used to dominate games and sometimes we would get you know we would get handed we would get our ass handed because we would get exposed but I always loved the fact that we were you know we wanted to play a certain way we wanted to play um, you know good soccer and sometimes mm-hmm. you know good soccer doesn't always win and I think that was you know some of the issues is that you know we were vulnerable sometimes on the break on the counterattack but because we wanted to do some things that were cool and when they worked it was amazing and when they didn't it was a disaster but uh, it was right. it was really fun. It was really fun, and honestly, I learned a lot from Oyos. I learned so much from him because mm-hmm. I had been coached by Adrian Heath for seven years plus, and so I saw soccer in a very particular way. And when I was able to work with Coach Oyos, it completely opened my mind to different things and different concepts. Sometimes some concepts that were opposite to what Adrian used to preach, mm-hmm. but. I realized that soccer is a game of interpretation and it's a game of creativity and there's not one way to do it. And uh, that became right. clear to me when I saw two contrasting styles of coaching and playing. And you become all, you become all the better for it the more you get exposed to that. Um, Absolutely. Earlier in your response, you mentioned, you mentioned about playing with, uh, with Tommy Kay, who you know is our uh, under-23 coach now. Uh, a little birdie yeah. tells me that you guys like to uh, – get into some, some deep, uh, poker games. Um, is, is that true? I was I trying to ask you about, about, you about these, these late, late night poker games. Oh man. You know, we, we had to do whatever to entertain yourself. You know what I mean? I wasn't a big FIFA guy. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, you know, I, I like to dabble a little bit, we, you know, in playing some card games mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, we even had some poker nights at you know some players' houses. It was fun, man. It was a lot of fun. I was not very good at it at all. Yeah. I was very impulsive. I wasn't very strategic. Right. But uh, the best part about it was just hanging out with the boys. The Argentinians have this Argentinian game called Truco, which is okay. a game that, that I still don't understand. It's very difficult to comprehend, and uh, only they could play it. And they could try. It. They would try to explain it to us, but it was just really hard. Um, and uh, I never, I never got into that game. But uh, but yeah, we did some we did some mm-hmm. poker with Tommy. Tommy, uh, you know, he's a smart guy. Probably took a lot of my money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was I was uh, going to some of my sources, trying to get some information, and that was the best I could pull out of anybody was to ask about the, uh, <laughs> the poker matches. All right, so now for the uh, let's go to the uh, season opening match against Edmonton. Uh, JJ in front of a record crowd scores the opening goal in twelve seconds. Tell us what you were feeling at that moment, because all the hard work of you know getting the team, you being the first signing, everybody arriving, everybody coming together, team. What did that? What did that feel like? That was awesome, man. Because we had a really good crowd. I remember um, yep. we were playing at uh, at the Jaguar Stadium, which was a beautiful venue. Yep. Uh, the atmosphere mm-hmm. was was insane. I I I loved every moment of it. And then I remember uh, JJ, who is to this day one of the best ball strikers I've ever played with. I mean, the dude could smack it with his right, with his left. Mm-hmm. Uh, such a good player. And, uh, you know, I remember him smacking it from, from – Oh, I know he does. I see his videos. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, I just, the dude is I just a, saw him play on Friday. Uh, there you go. The dude, uh, the dude yeah. could, could hit the ball and control the ball, uh, hit it in different ways. It was very difficult to play against him uh, during training. So I remember him just hitting that ball from far and then – the ball took a weird trajectory and the goalkeeper got beat and it was awesome, man. And I, I still remember today just JJ's just emotion and just his euphoria celebrating that goal along with everybody else. It was it was a really cool experience. What were some of the, the, the early challenges you guys faced, um, you know, as, as the team was rolling out and, uh, you know, getting underway? Obviously, that was a great, great way to start. What were some challenges you faced early on? I think, um, you know, at that level – there was a lot of games that were very pragmatic. They were very um, conservative in their approach. They would kind of sit back and wait for you guys, wait for us to make mistakes, which we made them. Uh, but as I said, I was always a fan of being the protagonist in the game with your game idea and your game model. And you know, we played some teams. I remember Ottawa, who was one of the best teams in the league, and they would sit back the entire game. It was the most boring soccer I ever experienced in my life. It was terrible. Uh, but they would win, and that's because they would just sit back, absorb pressure, and then hit you whenever you know you were exposed. And at that level, you know the defenders weren't great, weren't weren't amazing. You know, I, I would even argue in Major League Soccer, you know, 
Um, if you look at the teams that have success in a long season, are teams that sit back and counter. And and that was Ottawa back then. And it was difficult to play against them and against other teams that, that were a little bit more pragmatic, as I said, than we were. We were very aggressive. I mean, I remember corner kicks. We will leave three players up top. Who the heck does that? And right. But I liked I liked the idea because Oyos would tell me, "Hey, come out. It doesn't matter where. Just come out and get the ball, and then use your side volley to counterattack." Because one of the things that I, that that would do, if you left three players and teams wanted to be safe, they would leave four. That means that there was less players in the box. That means that I had more space to come out and get the ball. So it was really interesting to to remember some of the tactics that Oyos used to implement. But I liked them. I was a fan. But those were some of the challenges that we were very exposed. We were very uh, direct. Not direct. We were very uh, aggressive. And more often than not, we would end up paying the price because we would, you know, we would be vulnerable in transition. And as a goalkeeper, it's probably the most difficult thing to do is play with a team that is the goals are most of the time in transition or set pieces. That was tough as well. So, you know, sometimes I was like, oh, man. The Ottawa keeper has it easy because he doesn't have to do anything but shot stop, which is the easiest thing for goalkeeper. You don't really have to make a lot of decisions when to come out. You know where where do you where do you set up in your line? Uh, playing out of the back, you know you're prone to make mistakes when you're playing out of the back. Uh, but they play they sat back and so he would just kind of be in his goal line and just make some saves and then he'd be you know um, he'd have five six seven saves, but that's because. They defended so well that they forced low percentage shots. Uh, you know, no disrespect to the guy. The guy was a very, very good goal, goalkeeper. He was very good at what he did. I forgot his name. He was European. Uh, I don't remember, to be honest with you. But, uh, but you know, that was the challenge for me. And I used to always say, I would rather play for a team that plays the way we do than a team that plays like them. And I remember, I remember even running into the running into the coach or Ottawa. One time in a bath in a bathroom stall, uh, we were watching some international friendly matches, and I said to him, "Why do you play like that? You guys had really good players, and they did. They had really good players. Like, why would you not be more, you know, ball possession and you know patterns and sequences and be more aggressive?" And he said, "Miguel, there's only one Barcelona." Basically, he was saying that teams wanted to play like Barcelona, but they couldn't, and so he would he would exploit the weaknesses of teams that wanted to actually play, which I understood at the time. <clears throat> and to this day, you know, that's why a lot of teams play that way. I would argue. And, you know, somebody said to me, to, somebody said to me one time, it's easier. It's, it's harder to build than to destroy. And that's sometimes the mentality of some of these teams is that they, they, they were waiting. They were waiting for you to make mistakes. And then, and then they would capitalize on that, which credit to, you know, to them because they did it very well. I mean, I remember they had this Brazilian center back, Rafa Alves. He wasn't, I mean, the dude would win every header. He would win every tackle and he would come out of the game without sweating. It was unbelievable. So you guys uh, Good stuff. also had a exhibition match uh, in the middle of the season. You guys played Boca Juniors from the Argentina Premier, uh, Premier Division, and you guys played yeah. at Everbank. Um, what was your thoughts go, uh, playing that match um, for the new club against one of the top clubs in the Americas at the time? Yeah, I mean, they still are. I mean, Boca Juniors is one of the best teams in, in uh, <clears throat> the whole continent. It was massive. It was crazy how they pulled that off. I still have no idea how they did it, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was awesome, and uh, it was a really good experience. Probably one of the coolest experiences of my career. I mean, I played against some really cool teams, some Premier League teams, some Brazilian teams, but Boca Juniors for sure, one of the top teams that I ever played against. And it was fun. Um, it was fun. We were we were tied at half, I think. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and then you know they they made some substitutions, both of the teams, and I think we ended up losing three to one. But uh, it was a really fun game. I really enjoyed that experience. I was very grateful that they put that together. Yeah, that, that was pretty fun from a fan's I perspective. Imagine, I couldn't imagine the Argentinians on our team just playing against Boca Juniors. That must have been, I mean, amazing. Yeah, because what, probably a third of our roster was probably Argentinian yeah. that year. Something so, like that. yeah. So, um, towards the 
end of the first year, the team kind of struggled. Uh, both coaches ended up leaving. The team finished with an interim coach with Eric Dade. Um, but towards the end of the year, the team actually brought in one of your former teammates from Austin and Orlando City, some guy named Meshach Jerome. Um, what was your reaction once you heard that Meshach would be joining the squad? It was good, man. Meshach's a really good player. I mean, and he's still playing right now. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was good. You know, he was obviously – he was a good center back. Uh, he was a fullback with Orlando City uh, when I, when he played with us. Really? Yeah, he was. And uh, here with Armada, he became a center back. And, uh, you know, listen, we had one of the best center backs in the league back then, which is Rob Valentino, current assistant coach of Atlanta United. Okay. And then we have Kieran Bernard, who played for the U Jamaica's national team at the U youth level. So we had a really good um, – you know, a pair of center backs. And Jerome was, was a right back at the time. So when he came to Armada, there was more opportunity. And so he ended up being a center back. And he was a very good center back with a freaking cannon. To this, oh, day, yeah. to this day, I still want to sign him to play uh, uh, football. I want to be his agent. I think I would make more money than all of my career just with agent fees. He yeah, he, he's he definitely tank. got a leg on him. <laughs> and, he's, and he's a tank. So if they lose the ball, he will tackle somebody. He'd be very good at it. I'm I'm, I know you think I'm kidding. I think he'll be a great, great kicker today. If today Jerome decided to quit soccer to pursue football, I guarantee you that he will be a very good one. You, you know, I always enjoyed the games that you guys played. Um, I think it was Miami FC at the time. They had like Poku. It, because between Poku and then Kevon George in the middle or Poku versus Meshack, like it was just so much physical football and the will between those guys was Yeah. It, it was awesome. It was just so competitive. And like you said, Meshack's a freaking tank. There was nobody beating him. Yep. Um so if you if you didn't have the that. muscle which one? As I remember he scored a banger versus Orlando City uh, in a friendly. Um, it was a, it was the very first time that I would play against my former team, Orlando City. Um, we played yep. a friendly. And uh, before the season started in 2016. That's right. And I remember getting scored a, a free kick by Kaká. It was an amazing goal. Uh, you know, Oprah 90. I mean, I mean, I couldn't get to that ball. I mean, if I had a cape. And then... Second half, Jerome Meshack just puts one on them a lot better than Kakas. And I'm like, oh my God. So so you will admit that Meshack's free kick was better. Oh, a thousand percent. Okay. All right. Hey, this interview's done. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whoever, yeah whoever says that is not, I watch the game. No, I just remember um, ESPN just... had one day oh. Kaka's free kick as a, a number one goal on Sports Center, and then yes. like there was all these tweets of you, oh, you gotta, you gotta see this other kick from that same game, and then the next day it was Meshack as the number one spot yeah. from yeah. Uh, from that one. So yeah, absolutely, Meshack was way better. We already we already had that question on our list, so you you got you got ahead of us. But I was going to ask you, what's it like defending? I'm sure you had to defend against that in practice. What what was that like defending? Against it's me, Shaq's free kicks. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was terrible, man. I didn't. I never wanted that guy to shoot because I would. The ball would move. It would be like a knuckle. It was insane. I, I hated playing against me, Shaq. But uh, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, we were better for it, you know. Yeah, yeah it's funny. Uh, no, JJ, it's JJ was telling us last telling us last week that uh, he didn't didn't like to go to the gym. Oh, that's natural. He doesn't doesn't work out. Uh, oh yeah, he's just nothing, built, nothing. built that way. Yeah, he does not like do, listen boy. unless unless we didn't you know we didn't see it, but he, it didn't look like he did anything outside of training. I mean, it was just purely mm-hmm. natural, just natural strength. Jeez. That's so, so awesome. Yeah, like he he was built. Different. But but you know but you, but you know what though, it wasn't just his strength; it was his technique. Yeah, he he was do he would he would play this pass with the outside of his foot at a weird angle that I thought, how do you physically do that? Like that, it seems impossible. Uh, the way he would play the ball and he could drive the ball like no other. I mean, it, it was it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. So he he was there at the end of the year in 2015, 2016. You guys have the bold new team of the South. You got Tony Miola now as the head coach. 
you bring in some new faces like Tyler Ruthman, Kevon George, Richie Ryan from that uh, 2015 NASL champ Ottawa team, Matt Fondy, who led the team in goals. And and also another one of the players that you played with in Orlando City, Brian Burke. Um, there was a lot of excitement for us as fan supporters um, about the team that year. Um, what did you think of the direction that the team was going during the offseason? Um, obviously, some good players. Um, Kevin George was a good player. Uh, obviously, Richie Ryan, I mean, fantastic player, just very technical, you know, just a really good Smart, smart player. I think he's going to be, I don't know what he's going to do in his future, but I see him as being a just really good coach just because he understands the game so well. Um, and then uh, Berkey, Brian Burke, who was a freaking horse. Like, the dude could run up and down the field and never get tired. Obviously, Matt Fondy, who I mean, he was sc- scoring a lot of goals for, was it uh, North Carolina? Louisville? Yeah. I think he was not, Louisville? Okay. He went uh, to North Carolina after he left after. the Armada. That's yeah. right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was excited about the team. I was excited about the team. Um, and I think we had a good run for a moment. But, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was unfortunate that we couldn't do as well as I thought we could have, we should have. So what was it like having a, a goalkeeper as your head coach? Um, you don't see many many goalkeepers move into the to the at least the head coaching ranks. Uh, what was that like for you as a goalkeeper? You know what? It wasn't um, anything. I can't really say much about it. There wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would, you know, he would say a couple of things. Um, you know, when he saw the opportunity, you know, but obviously he was focused more on the team. Um, you know, he wasn't the goalkeeper coach. Every now and then, he would kind of grab the goalkeepers and kind of, you know, do a little bit here and there. But uh, he was more focused with with the team. You know. It was his first time coaching, so I would imagine that more of his energy was going towards how the team was going to play, how the team was set up. But uh, for me, it was really cool to be coached by you know one of the American legends. And I remember watching him play. I remember watching him in the World Cup of '94. You know, with the ponytail and everything. So uh, for me, it was it was cool. You know, to to get to be around Tony Miola. Sure. Yeah, that's. That that is that does have to be pretty cool to like. I don't know if you follow more. Uh, would you consider yourself more Mexican heritage, or uh, I know you spent a lot of time in Texas and now Orlando. Like when U.S. and Mexico play, who who do you root for? Man, that's a tough one. I honestly, it's a lose lose for me. I've been here now more than half of my life, so it's really difficult to say. I mean, I want to say I'm leaning. I lean towards Mexico, but then the U.S. went, and then I'm happy too. You know. So, uh, it's a win-win. So it's win-win. It's win-win either way. Oh yeah, either, yeah, either exactly. way you're you're in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Especially because you know, <clears throat> I do think that the U.S. has a lot of talent and they have a, a lot of potential, and I hope that they can capitalize because I, I do think that they have, you know, a ton of talent. And yeah, uh, we'll yeah, see. I'm, we'll see how far it takes them to walk up in twenty twenty six. I'm a little bit older, so I've been following the U.S. team since nineteen ninety, and. Um, yeah. To see where we are now, to where we were then, you know, a lot of people would complain nowadays. We saw some bad, bad stuff. You know, ninety, ninety-four. <laughs> I know, man. Ninety-eight. Yeah. Well, listen. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm old too, man. I remember those days. I remember the nineteen. Hey, hold on, hold up. You can't say you're old. You're like three weeks older than me. Like, okay. There you go. I remember those. I remember those U.S. men national team games. I mean, they played. Uh, let's just say they did not play pretty soccer. But man, those guys would fight, fight yeah. and fight and fight. For and sure. That's the one thing that I think, that I think characterized them rather than quality. Um, they had sure. just a this, this grit oh. about them, and they were very difficult to play against. Uh, don't get me wrong; there were some nasty players back then. Like Claudio Reyna was disgusting. You know, obviously yep. Brian McBride was 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 amazing. No, you, you don't Donald have to be the best team. You just got to be the best team that day. That's right, man. And they they were the best team on multiple occasions in big moments. Keller, always oh, good. Friedel, Casey Keller, Friedel, obviously Tony Miola, uh, Tim Howard, Tim Howard. Um, you know, yeah. so many Tim Howard, so, so many, so many good goalkeepers. They, they never had an issue there's, there. There's something yeah. in the water. Something in the water over here that. Uh, and that's that it. Brings man. That about yeah. that was such a great crew. All right, so. 
Yeah, let, let's get back to the, the Armada for a second. So, um, 2016 season, it was rough sailing again for the team. Miola ended up getting the axe. In came interim head coach uh, Mark Lowry. Um, you guys get enough results down the stretch where Mark was able to get the main job the following year. Um, what do you think was a difference for the team down the stretch with uh, Lowry as the head coach versus uh, Tony Miola? I, I don't know. I think with Tony, obviously, he knows the game really well. He's been around the game for so many years. The one thing I remember with him is there was a lot of inconsistencies in, like, lineups and formations. I remember, you know, I think he was trying to discover what he wanted to do and what he wanted to be as a coach. And listen, I may be speaking out of out of order here. That's just, uh, that's just the sense that I got. That was just the message that I got. Uh, and as I said, I could be wrong, but it, it seemed to me as though there wasn't a clear idea or a clear plan of what he wanted to do or what type of coach he was going to be. Um, and, and so I think, you know, you guys saw it. there was formation changes almost, you know, very, very often. And that's difficult. Formations are systems and sometimes systems need a lot of work. Um, so um, it was, you know, it was obviously a learning curve for everybody, you know, and, uh, and then Mark came in and I think Mark came in and had an idea pretty clear idea of how he wanted to do things um i also think that he benefited a lot from adrian heath because a lot of the things that even though i haven't watched mark in the last few years with his current teams uh, that armada team had a lot of similar concepts to adrian heath and i remember when i would uh train with orlando city with adrian heath mark would be watching a lot of the sessions on the side as a youth coach so i'm not surprised that a lot of the things that he brought to the team were things that were very familiar to me. And so I think he found in me somebody who understood some of the things that he wanted to preach because he knew that I was part of it in the past. And I think that helped the team. It helped the team, the fact that he had a very clear idea of what he wanted to do. And, um, you know, his trainings were very good. Uh, he was very intense as a coach. I mean, in warmups, he would be very high energy pushing the guys to do better and uh you know his locker room talks were good you know he was a very young coach but um you know i thought he was very mature in the things that he said uh so you know i really i really enjoy working with mark and i'm not i'm not surprised why he's done so well in in coaching and i think you know he's still very young for a coach and he's gonna have more opportunities i'm not i'm not you know i'm, I'm certain of that and i think for tony as i said you know, I don't think they ever established themselves. Like, for instance, the goalkeeper coach wasn't was was never here. He would come here a day before match days, and you know, train us the last day, and then be at the game. And then, um, you know, I I don't think that helped. Um, so I think he didn't have enough time to establish himself. I think and and establish his idea and the things that he wanted to do. Uh, so. I don't know, you know, like I said, maybe and speak out of order, but that's that's just what I remember. But he was a good guy. Um, Rooney, who was the assistant coach, was a good guy, a really nice guy. And Sal, uh, who was a goalkeeper coach, that as again, as I said, he didn't, he wasn't here permanently. Super guy as well. Really liked Sal. Um, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, they just couldn't they couldn't get their idea um, onto the guys, and it wasn't manifested on the field, and you know we didn't get the results. Last game of the year, um, you guys ended up playing the Rowdies. Yeah. Um, behind two late goals from Jamel Johnson and Zach Steinberger, you guys get the win 3-2. to two. Um, What I remember most from that match, though, is what came after the match, um, is your connection with not only the supporters, but with the younger fans as well. You always made time for everyone after the games, even when you didn't need to. Um, I always remember you gave your gloves to the young kids, your jersey, and yeah. went to the locker room uh, after that game to get Patrick Ott so he can get me a signed jersey. Um, oh, nice. How, how important do you think it is for any club that the players make the extra effort to engage with not only the supporters but the younger fans as well? Yeah, man, I, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody. For me, it always felt like uh... – Listen, I don't think there's anything nicer in life than to make other people happy, man. And I know when I was younger, when I would get an autograph from a player from my hometown team, I mean, I was like over the moon, you know what I mean? Like I would travel, I would drive, not drive, but I would like 
take a bus to go hopefully catch a glimpse of them getting out of their car to the training facility or the hotel where they would be staying at. And I thought that was super awesome. Like seeing one of them just randomly on the streets, I thought was crazy. And so I remember those, those days. And so when I became a pro and I knew that kids kind of looked up to the players because they wanted to go watch them and stuff like that. And I just wanted to do anything I could to make them happy, you know, and just have them have good memories. I was impacted by pros and I was I always had the hope that I could impact a kid, you know, um, and so I always kind of wanted to be open and, and be giving. Um, and you know, I'll be honest with you, it was always a good feeling. So almost a little bit selfish that, you know, it was always a good feeling to, to do something nice for somebody. And, and so if I could, why not? You know what I mean? And I, and I think I read a quote a long time ago that Kaká would have always be the last one leaving the, the stadium and he would always sign uh, kids' jerseys and take photos. And so... That stuck to me, and so I wanted. I always wanted to be that guy that never said no to a photo or an autograph or a picture or whatever. And I'm glad that people remember that. Thank, thank you so Good much. Stuff. And make it so. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it uh, for you taking some time out of it. I know what is a busy schedule. I know you have a lot of a lot of travel. Um, so we appreciate, uh, like I said, so much taking the time and. It, it, it makes us happy that you 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 find your time here was you know a, a, a good time. You know, as you know, Definitely, the team's man. been through a lot. Thanks, thanks a lot. Miguel. Definitely, man. Absolutely. No, I like memory lane. You know, I've been I've been keeping up with what's going on with the Armada. I do believe that there's a strong fan base there. I do believe that there's a strong soccer culture there, and uh, I'm excited to see what it's going to become. But I know it's going to become something. That's for sure. And that's going to do it for this episode of No Pyro, No Podcast. Join us next time as we continue our series on the history of the Armada with another special guest. The outro music may give you a little bit of a hint who that's going to be. We'll see you next time. The universe, there once existed a planet known as Krypton. It brought forth a race of supermen whose mental and physical powers were developed to the absolute peak of human perfection. Go on,